Hey everyone, it's Tom Kradza, and on this episode, Nick and I sit down with Charles Waugh and his brother, Kenson Waugh. If there's two people that you want to meet on a day that maybe you're not feeling the best, it's these two brothers. They always bring the best energy possible, smiling, high-fiving. I mean, they're just positive guys, and we are pumped to watch their journey. I think we bumped into Charles first, and I guess it, it's got to be like seven or eight years ago. Met his brother, Kenson, shortly after. Now, they've been on different journeys, but now they're working together, and Charles goes through and explains all the different real estate strategies that he's personally done over the years, and now what they're focused on with the Gateway Group. So, that's something um, that I think everyone will be interested to hear because it's the journey of a real estate investor who kind of started with one thing with his family's business, but then started his own business in real estate investing is now, and now is taking it beyond what I would call the basics or, you know, simply purchasing straight up rental properties. He's doing developments, they're flipping properties, he's building a big team around him. His brother Kenson is now joining him in the business. So on this episode, we catch up with both of them. We get all the updates. I believe on this episode, we talk about Florida as well. They have a property down in Florida and they've been kind of giving us the ins and outs on the areas. Nick and I check out that area. So we talk about all of that stuff, including how, uh, how Charles can squat a lot of weight. So we go through all these different topics. So you're going to hear a bit of everything on this particular episode. Um, it's our kind of episode for sure. And if you are listening to this and you want to get started in real estate investing, but you want a little bit more information before you begin, you can pick up a free copy of our most popular book, which is Income for Life for Canadians at rockstarinnercircle.com forward slash books. So the book is called Income for Life for Canadians. And you can pick up a free digital copy of that book at rockstarinnercircle.com forward slash books. That's enough with the intro. Let's get on with the show. Are you ready to live life on your terms? Is it time to take charge? Real estate, business building, the economy, health and nutrition, and more. It's the Your Life, Your Term Show with Tom and Nick Carazza. Are you ready? Let's go. Okay, we are live with Charles Waugh and Kenson Waugh and Nicholas Alexander Karadza. Um, you know, Old name. Uh, like, ro- like royalty, man. It's, 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 I've trained him well. That's the, that's <laughs> yeah. the way I should be yeah, referred yeah. to. Nicholas Alexander. Um, <laughs> who is, spends more time in Florida between you two? Oh, definitely my brother. <laughs> oh, yeah. That was a, I knew the answer to that yeah, question. I, I, I work on my tan. Yeah, yeah. You got to speak right into the mic. Yeah, there we go. Move it up like this, Ch- okay. Kenson. There you go. Yeah, there we go. And he come was really just there for to... six weeks. Yeah. So you were there for six weeks. Yeah, yeah. but he was so, working, right? Uh, yes. So tell <laughs> working on the house. I'm helping, to you, helping out the younger brother. Yeah. You know? <laughs> so we got to stick together. So w- you guys bought a property there because what was the decision to buy the property there? That was your parents pushing you, you pushing your parents. You bought it as a family, correct? Yes. Yes. We actually pushed uh, my parents and it was one of your articles that you wrote. Uh, from like 2016, 2017 that helped push it over the edge. Uh, you talked about lifestyle. Some properties you buy is for lifestyle, not for cash flow. And my parents growing up very frugal. My dad grew up poor. They didn't want to buy a property in Florida, even though they love Florida. And we really want to try to push the lifestyle, especially after they've retired. My father had some health challenges and um, it's been amazing. Like since then, it's like my parents' favorite spot to go to. So it's been a great decision for, for us and the family. So, And that's in just north of West Palm in Florida. That's right. Palm Beach Gardens. Palm Beach Gardens. That's right. And, then you, so, and they do use it? They do. So between them, my brother, and his family, like they use it pretty much all the time. So are you, is this your way of saying you don't yeah. use it? <laughs> I, 
in the past three years, I think I've been there four days, three days. No way. Yeah. Oh. I, I want to so use it. More. You're just working. You're just working in the business. Just grinding here back at home. So you enjoy the grind then. I enjoy the grind, but I do like to take uh, short and frequent trips. I like to take go down there for like a weekend and then come back. Well, yeah, we can tell, dude. You just said four days and three years, where it's not yeah, even yeah. a weekend. You're there for you're there for the <laughs> day. A few hours. Listen. Well, COVID kind of messed that up too. But yeah, that's true. Yeah. Okay. So, and then, do you guys call your business a family business? How do you refer to your business when you're talking about it together? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I, we haven't really referred it to as as a family business, uh, but now my brother was in before. Then he kind of did his own. So thing. describe what you're for anyone who's listening who has not heard you guys before. Can you describe the business? Just paint the picture for everyone. Yeah. So Gateway Group, uh, I founded it eight years ago. Uh, it's a development and construction company. Um, and uh, my brother was in it before. He kind of is on the capital side. He grew up, uh, he worked on Bay Street. So he likes all the finance stuff. Um, and uh, he's, brother, our, he's our he's Tom's enemy. Uh, he's Tom, yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> And we kind of balance each other's out because I'm I willing to take on more risk. He's more risk averse and conservative. So uh, it's a nice compliment there. Uh, but my brother went off and did his own thing for a while. And kind of now he's back and we need capital. We need capital to scale uh, the number of projects we're doing, take on larger projects, more projects. So what so, type of projects do you do? So we do flips is like short term is our six month cash flow residential flips or residential commercial? flips like single family homes convert to duplexes things that a lot of um, rockstar members do uh, that will then fund our small scale infill developments that those projects typically take about two years to complete that's where we get an oversized lot we'll sever it into a few lots and then build and then sell those are so those six months is flips two years is our small scale infills then we also have larger projects that are typically three to five years. That's where you take larger pieces of land, go through the rezoning process, and then and then build. So that's kind of our kind of. Full and those larger projects are also residential. All residential. So describe that larger project for me. What would that be? Well, uh, for example, we have a project in Toronto. Um, it's twelve townhouses. All it's still infill. It's within the urban boundary. Um, small piece of land, which poses extra challenges. We don't do greenfield developments like the large builders who go out to the farm fields and you know, build on hundreds of acres. We're in tight spaces, which is like, then that poses challenges with neighbors, with stockpiling fill, um, that sort of thing. But in Toronto there, um, 0.4, almost half an acre, uh, 12 townhouses we have approved. And we're just going through the site plan uh, process right now is when you go through all the details with the city to finalize. And hopefully we go to go to construction um, in January, 2023. Well, after it's all done, I'll ask you what it's what it was like working with the city. Not now. We're not going to ask. <laughs> okay. We're not going to ask now. Well, 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 that'll be a follow up show once Sounds once good. it's all done. Then yeah. we can then we can openly talk about that. <laughs> so we focus on uh, low rise, that's singles, towns, and semis. We do have one project approved in Westdale uh, near McMaster University for a six story student residence, and we've never built mid rise before, so that that could be interesting. We would need my brother to raise a lot of capital. We would need to find some expertise, put that all together if we do plan on building out. We do have the option of, of selling it at site plan approval, um, but we're, we're kind of going through that right now. Because I guess at site plan approval, it's going to have gone up in value now because you can build on it. So you could just get rid of it at that point. If you Absolutely. To. It took us three years there to get the zoning approvals. We, we came across huge like opposition in the neighborhood. I actually live there. <laughs> So I'm a local. Do you live there? I didn't know you lived there. Yeah, I live oh. there. I live there. A lot of people didn't know that. And there was people that wanted to appeal that. And then when uh, they 
they heard about my, actually they looked me up they heard some podcasts like podcasts i've done with no. you guys um they heard the story and then they connected with me then they realized like what our vision is like local born and raised in hamilton not like this crazy rich Asian or anything like that. <laughs> not pulling no. up in Lamborghinis in the No, Ferraris. exactly. When they when they realize kind of what we want to do and we want to do good things in the community, they're like, you know what, we're not going to appeal. So it took three years though. That's like really, really I've long. said, I, I'm surprised you guys got that approved in that area. That's not an easy task because in Westdale, there is a lot of pushback and, and rightfully so in a lot of cases because a, a lot of the student properties there, the way they've been managed and, and I guess maybe mismanaged yeah has created kind of a community that if you live there with your family might not be it, it, what it was exactly. you know but exactly. it's like it, it's too bad because those types of communities it's a nice community and if everyone just manages the places properly it, it can be a great community still you 100%. know it's just it's some it's 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 like you know the old saying right the ron apple what is it one ron apple ruins a bunch you know the old saying <laughs> yeah, that, yeah, yeah. the old saying that i don't know yeah. you know but it's just the, it ruins it for everyone right but it's cool that you guys got that approved because the, the right development done properly can can benefit everyone exactly and then th that will also help with um taking students away from some of those bad apples you're talking about yeah those terrible landlords who are stuffing 12 kids into this unsafe house when you have these purpose-built student residences, that will help take them out of those neighborhoods. It'll be better for everybody. Yeah, yeah. And my brother actually lives there. He lives in Westdale as well. Oh, do you live there too? Yes. I didn't know that. Yeah. By by accident, you guys ended up, or you like you you purposely moved there when because yeah. he was there. Like, what was the because we live in the same area too, but it was kind of by accident. I think it was just I, it was not really planned. It was just opportunity that, yeah. that came we up. We actually bought our houses around the same time. Yeah, we did. Yeah, by fluke. Yeah. Well, it's a good area. Like, it's a nice exactly, area of Hamilton, yeah. right? If you're going to live in the in Hamilton, it's, it's one of the nice areas to, yeah. to choose from. It is. So yeah. the low-rise stuff, you think that'll be something you do going forward? Yeah, that's definitely... Why, why, and why will you stick with that? Well, we have the expertise. Like, we that's that's our niche. Mm -hmm. So And the, could, pro the profit on the infill projects that you subdivide or sever the lots, that is that a sweet spot? That feels to me like a very profitable... It, it is spot. profitable. And what we like to say is, like, that for the small-scale infills, it's a real niche where it's perceived as too complex for the average investor and it's too small for the larger builders. So it's a real sweet niche. We teach it. We've talked to even a lot of rockstar members about it and like people, the like investors can totally do it. It's not that difficult once you break it down step by step. It's funny because there's multiple people doing it now. Like Spencer Brown has been on here talking about it. Uh, young rock star member. Yep. Victoria Suen is doing it. Exactly. Um, is Andy Trans involved with you on these projects? Yes, he's involved in some of our projects okay. as well. So yeah, he's done it. There's a bunch of like people who we've worked with, whether it's students or consulting clients that have all done it on their own. Mm -hmm. Okay. And then Kenson, I remember like when we first met, were we talking about you while you were still working on Bay Street? Were you about, I was to, just quit about your, to quit? Yeah, we had that meeting, I think, in our old office, no? <laughs> Tom, like, I think about every, you everyone that comes onto your podcast, they end up leaving their jobs. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I have flashbacks to your talking to you about That's going to backfire sooner. <laughs> yeah. <than your job. laughs> yeah. No, I think you pick I learned a lot in the corporate world. I learned a lot. I think it's I think it's worth going. It, it, it really helps you understand a lot of stuff. You're like, yeah, I don't think there's a bad side to it. And for some people, it's the right thing. Like, that's where they, they're happy and right. good for them. You exactly. Know? And a lot of the proce processes, processes that we uh, learned in the corporate corporate world we took to rockstar and it kind of helped us evolve here yeah. so it was totally beneficial but I, I forget why you were on the fence but then you ultimately did it and so how has it been it's it's been life-changing to be honest uh, income uh, income let's just go to the money for a second right. has it did you freak out when you lost the salary yeah it was it was, it was hard to adapt because you're, you're used to getting that paycheck um but sometimes you just got to take that leap of faith and and go 
where you're not comfortable and uh, you figure it out, you know, life's short. And, um, you know, I was a portfolio manager at age 28 and I was like, okay, so I know my life for the next 30, 40 years, right? Uh, retire early, get a good income, build my it's AUM. Gonna be boring as shit. <laughs> it's going to be boring dream, right? Shit, yeah. You're going to play a lot of golf though. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, he was, he was mulling over for a few years. He knew he wanted to make the jump. Uh, I think one thing that I told him is like, what's the worst case? You can always go back and get the same job or right. go work back in the industry. So take the plunge. Yeah. Yeah. What'd your parents, what'd your parents think though, when you were telling them that? Oh. <laughs> yeah. Okay. That's, that's what I was thinking. There's a yeah. lot of resistance. Yeah. Right. You land on base. <laughs> it's a very nice way to say it. <laughs> manager. It's you've reached your full potential. Um, but honestly, ever since transitioning, I've been so thankful that I took that leap. And are your parents ha- happy for you now? They've come to terms or they're still, you know, I think they're still concerned. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> my mom is mainly my, my mom or our mom. Uh, she's definitely looking out for the best interests of sure. us. Yeah. yeah. Before when I was an engineer and we, when I lost my job, she was not happy when I was like, I'm jumping into real estate development. Don't know a thing about it. Don't have the capital, <laughs> but going to figure it out. She's always wanting like stability. So yeah. she views the nine to five as more stable, safe and secure. Um, and she's like, why would you leave an engineer? It's especially like an Asian culture. You know, you got to be an engineer, lawyer or doctor. And so me leaving that to do my own thing. And especially when yeah, I never think about that. Yeah. So you were kind of looked down upon. From yeah, your exactly. Own family. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. I think they couldn't talk to our family members about yeah, what I got it. Because you got have it. the status symbol of being an engineer, right? A professional. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, also like, you know, the reason why my, I think my mom has the, that outlook for us, she, she wants that security for us because when they were running their business, um, there was times where they didn't have enough money. And my mom has a story where she went to get out cash with her debit card and it ate her card because she didn't have any funds in the account. So my mom and dad have gone through a lot of volatility yeah. in the past. As I wonder started. if ATMs still do that. I used to work at the bank and I remember when ATMs would eat people's cards. They would come <laughs> in and they would be in a little box behind the ATM and then we would have to kind of go look up wow. which customer it was and what happened to the account. Right. I don't know if ATMs still do that or, or not, but when your parents came to Canada, they how old were they? They were or, my, my mom was 16 and I think my dad was around 23, 24. Yeah, got it. Yeah. Um, and they were uh, both... They met here? They met at University of ATM. Toronto. Okay. And uh, they happened to come from the same city. Oh, like wow. in Malaysia. Like, yeah, it just happened to be. Mm-hmm. But they didn't know each other in Malaysia. No, no and, and they, they met, met here. here. And then, Kenson, why did you use the words life-changing about quitting your job? I think for me, it's, um, it's getting outside that bubble. I think when you work in corporate you start talking a certain way, you have a facade a certain way, and you start living on the society's terms uh, rather than your own terms. And that's why, you know, your slogan resonates with me. It's, you know, a big reason as to why we do what we do is your life, your terms. And it's about, you know, like this morning, uh, I did CrossFit and I went for a swim and I went and I made a shake for my son. You know, like back then, it's like get to work by 8.30, you have to read the markets, before it opens and be, you know, everything is just stuffy and uptight and you're pretty much working um, on someone else's criteria. And so for me, having that liberty to just take that plunge and be able to um, follow my curiosity even, like I wouldn't be learning about Bitcoin and Tesla's, you know, working where I was. It's 
learn about the blue chips, things that are safe. Keep it safe. Don't don't over. And you were traveling when you quit your job. What was that about? You were just exploring and kind of finding yourself because I feel like you were going to different conferences in the U.S. Yeah. Walk us through that. Why were you doing that? What was that all about? Yeah, for me, I was I was too used to living a conventional life. You know, like I went through education, went to Western, got good grades. You went Land- to Western too? Yeah. Like everyone I'm meeting. <laughs> Holy smokes. Okay. Got good grades, landed on Bay Street. I followed the path, the path that you're supposed to follow. And what I realized after that experience, I was 28. I was like, I'm not happy. You know, like I did everything that you're supposed to do and you're supposed to be happy. Why aren't, aren't, why aren't I happy? And then I did some self-reflection, read some books. I'm like, you know what? I got I to gotta change this pattern up. And um, I talked to one of my buddies who was running a company and he's like, the best thing you'll ever do is just travel solo. I was like, solo traveling? Like, I don't think any of my culture would approve of that. Like, you don't travel solo. Um, and so what I did was I booked a one-way ticket to uh, Thailand. And um, I gave myself a deadline. It's like, you're going to resign by that date. But at that point, I didn't know. So I booked the ticket before resigning. And I gave myself a deadline. I said, you're just going to figure it out, you know? And so I'm still here. <laughs> wow. That's cool. I, I think the, the coolest, I mean, there's, there's a lot to that and then all the experiences and stuff like that, but it's pretty insightful for someone at 28 to kind of be able to have that, you know, self-reflection and be like, you know, I'm not, I'm, I'm already looking out at my future. I realize I'm not happy and I, I want to make the change now. Right. Very often that doesn't happen until I'd say probably 10 years later, like, you know, late thirties on the early side, you know, maybe to, to, to earlier mid forties. And then by that time, a lot of people feel stuck because of where they are in their life. So it's kind of cool that you were able to do that at that age. Yeah. What'd your manager call it? The, the golden handcuffs. Yeah. Golden handcuffs. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. What book did you read? You said you read some books. What were some of the books that you come to mind during that phase of your life? Uh, Alchemist was the Paulo Coelho. Cool. That was one of them. Okay. Um, do you uh, do you have a list of like and well, you you were the problem? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, I'm just think you're like you had a supportive brother because I feel like at that point your brother was kind of like I remember having that meeting with you guys and Charles was right there and he was yeah. kind of like supporting your decision. I feel like either way, like he was going to support you. Right. So that's kind of cool that you had that because for for Kenson to take that leap to have his brother support is pretty helpful. Right. A lot of people don't have that. Yeah, no, and I agree. When you started saying that, I thought this was a way to circ- to bring it back to like you being <laughs> a good big brother too or something. That's what oh. I was expecting. And then it turned out to just no, be a nice, I, a nice thing. Dude, I don't have to say I'm a good big brother. That's always assumed. That's, that's, I don't have to repeat uh, the obvious. I, mean, I was also things, thinking, dude, I was, things, why would I have to ever say that? That's, I was thinking after that meeting that you're like public enemy number one to their parents. Yeah, <laughs> yeah probably not the only parents. Too. How many people have we got to buy investment Who's properties? Who's this Tom Rock? Rockstar yeah. guy. What the hell <laughs> What's the, when we called this place, this business, Rockstar Real Estate, we had a client already because we were working with our real estate licenses at a different brokerage. And he said, guys, did you have to call it Rockstar Real Estate? I'm already having a hard enough time explaining to my wife that I want to buy investment properties. And now you called the business Rockstar Real Estate. I guess I'm done. I don't even actually know if I ever saw him again. I think he was done. Yeah, I remember the story. I, I forget was, who that I was. But, that yeah. was yeah. but uh, anyway, Kenson, what was uh, what was one of your biggest fears? And did that fear come true? Like to me, I think it would be like running out of money or something. Mm. Was that one of them or no? Was it something else? I think for me, it's fi- fear of failure. Because, um, you know, you, you go from such a 
successful career, so, so to speak. And, and all of a sudden you're, you're, you have to start all over again. You know, it's like going from a PhD back to a student. Um, and for me, the, the fear of failure was real. You know, you have a lot of pressure. Um, the, why did you take that leap? You know, if, if you fail, then it's like, I told you, I told you not to do it. You know, you should have continued your path. And so that was probably one of the biggest, um, fears at that point. And then, um, yeah, it's just fear of the unknown. What am I going to do with my life? Everything was defined for me. I, I was nice and cushy, but now I'm on my own. Right. It's funny because I think we all just kind of wrestle with that for our whole lives. Mm -hmm. Even if you're in the corporate world for 30, 40 years, you're probably thinking about that regularly anyway. Well, we're programmed for safety, right? Mm -hmm. So naturally, we will, we're, our brains are wired to get us, get us to take the safe path to things. We have to kind of like force ourselves to go out of that path. So isn't like if, we, if we're not actively doing that, then we're, for most of us, we're kind of wired to take that path i think tom and i are strange we're, we're always seeking danger yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah like what's next okay <laughs> climb that hill what, what do we handle next yeah Check only because you have two people in your lives to fix the problems yeah yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah. problems what problems <laughs> um yeah pretty cool kenson and then just last thing on this when you left i feel like you went to some you ended up at some business conferences as well in the u.s so after thailand you, you came back and then did you i feel like that was you working on your skills you were kind of learning about marketing yeah. and yeah. was that na a natural evolution or did you feel forced like, holy shit, I better learn how to like sell some shit online yeah. or something. What, where did that decision come from? For me, really, it was like I was at the bank and I kept hearing these, you know, the, the whole digital, you know, the whole digital era, um, digital banking, digital everything. I'm like, can I, I can't even open, make my own website to generate leads for clients. Like I have to go through Scotia's network. And, and for me, I was like, this is so backdated. And that was where it sparked my curiosity. Cause you know, everyone was investing in digital spaces. I felt so far behind. And so that's where, um, I went to a conference in Texas where I met my now wife. <laughs> um, and that was, um, and then I went to traffic and conversion in San Diego. And for me, it was just understanding, the power of leverage um, and social media um, and how, you know, when I was raising capital and I was meeting high network clients, I'm doing one by one pitches versus there's this whole other place where it's like you do a couple clicks and you create a, you know, a landing page and whatnot. Your exposure, just like this podcast, you can scale that infinitely almost, you know. Baby Shark is 9 billion views on YouTube, right? Um, there's no way you're meeting 9 billion people. <laughs> uh, so for me, it was about that curiosity that sparked and working smarter than harder, really. Um, and, and so that's kind of what caused that curiosity for me to go down that path. You seem so balanced in your thinking. I feel like I would have been more freaked out than you were. It's really cool to hear how calm you are describing this. I'm sure there were some freak out moments at, uh, <laughs> through this, but you seem so calm and collected. Yeah, you definitely this. do. I'd, I'd be like, well, here's what that I did. I just did, like, I'd be freaking out about the whole thing still. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There was one moment when I quit and uh, Nick and I were working together. I was June of 2007 and we lost nine real estate deals in a row. 
And I remember walking yeah. out of the office. I don't even think I was that concerned, but I remember you looked over the car. I think we were going home in the same car. And I think you said, hey, we better close one of these deals soon or like we're going to have problems just from from a money point of view. Right. And I remember when then Nick had a little bit of concern on your, I don't know if it was concern or you just made yeah. that comment. Then I was like, oh shit, there's a chance that this isn't going to work. <laughs> <laughs> I hadn't really thought of that. I just assumed this is going to work. Well, I, I, look, I look at the numbers more than Tom. So I was looking at the numbers. I'm like... This is a problem. They're only going down. <laughs> we, we, for that, we were reinvesting everything into the business, anyways. But yeah. we kind of need them to go up so that they can go down again. Yeah, you, you it know went what I mean? down pretty hard and fast for quite some time, actually. But it's funny that you say that because if we look at the the challenges that we've seen over the years, it's like we we were in 2007. We were losing these deals, and we, meaning like we were in competition. Yeah, and so other people were. It was a hot. Deals. It was a hot market, and that was that was then. You yeah, know, it was no different. And that was what 15 years ago. Yeah, now? it's funny in the real estate market. Every year, people will come to us and say, "Man, it was so much easier two years ago. <laughs> there was more properties. You know, it was easier to get properties." We heard that all. We've heard yeah. that for straight since 2007. Like, oh, two years ago. Do you remember the, those days? It was so good. Ups and downs. Uh, yeah, Even ups times and downs. in 2017 and stuff. People are like, "Oh, it's still so hard." I'm like, guys, like, let yeah, me yeah, guess. Yeah. Those are the people that don't ever buy. They're waiting for the the crash always yeah i never forget in that office one guy walked in and we found him a single family home in burlington oh. like it was about two hundred eighty five thousand dollars. this is a single family home in burlington ontario for 285 even at that time that was like a really good price yeah and i was and nick and i couldn't buy it because at that time we had no income declared i had quit you know we couldn't yeah. qualify to get it and i was showing the guy the numbers on this i'm like you could rent it out for this much this is a no-brainer and he divided the purchase price by the property taxes and the ratio was off compared to something he had read <laughs> in some real estate investing book where they said the property taxes divided by the, you know, the purchase price should be a certain ratio or, or something maybe like some, that. Maybe in like some small town in Ohio or something. Yeah, like that yeah. and he's like, I can't buy this because you know, this pro the property taxes are not appropriate uh, for this house. And I thought, oh my gosh, this guy's not looking at the income and the expenses, you know, oh like just focus on the priorities on this thing. And we, we didn't get the house. I'll never forget. Yeah. Having said that, what do you what are you thinking now? Because rates have gone up a little bit, market soft, inventory spiked at the fastest rate that we've seen in a long time. We, since it is higher than twenty seventeen, but it's not that much different right yep. now at the spike. So, in, uh, in, sorry, interest rates are up, inventory spiking, yep. demands dropping. Uh, it's inventory spiking uh, as a different time as as prices are higher and rates yep. are going up. So there is like some pressures. I'm just curious, like. What do you, how do you guys view this type of stuff? Is there a concern to you because of what you're doing in some of your projects? You're just like, well, you know, like, what do you, what are you looking at? We view it as an opportunity actually. And I always quote uh, Warren Buffett, uh, be fearful when others are greedy and be greedy when others are fearful. And there's a lot of fear out there in the markets right now. And again, we view it as a buying opportunity. We've actually been extra aggressive recently as the market has turned. So last week in a span of 48 hours, we picked up three new projects. And before that, the past six months, I think we might have picked up one, if not zero, because the market's been stupid from like October to like March. Yeah, just everyone's just fighting yeah, and yeah. everything's over asking. So that's when we were like calm, calming down. We're like, okay, let's slow down our acquisitions. But now we see this as a, as a big opportunity. And then long run for our developments, we're still bullish on real estate. Uh, yes, there could be volatility this year. Nobody has a crystal ball. Interest rates are likely going to continue going forward, uh, increase, including on June 1st. Uh, but long term wise, we feel with the fundamentals of immigration, uh, supply and demand, um, we believe real estate, the prices are still going to go up. Uh, I don't know what's going to help with affordability. 
nothing seems to there's no real good solutions out there um so again we're very bullish on our current projects and we're still actively acquiring new projects I feel like you guys just have this unique opportunity because you said it best. Nobody, the big players aren't doing infill projects. The beginner investors thinking it's too complicated when really it just takes a bit more expertise. I'm not trying to downplay your yeah, expertise no, by any absolutely, means. Absolutely, yeah. But you found this little niche that yeah. I feel like infill projects going forward are going to be where it's at. And it's like the provincial mandate. We need more intensification to help with uh, housing affordability. And like these single family homes, they're going to be like dinosaurs in the future. You're seeing the townhouses back-to-backs, stacked towns are now becoming our new single-family home. And I, I listened to uh, your, recording, your recording with Peter Politis mm-hmm. recently talking about, uh, that's the CEO of, of Greybrook, talking about how houses now are getting smaller. Things are shrinking, mm-hmm. either condo size or even when you're looking at uh, ground-related units like single towns and semis, everything's getting smaller or you're getting uh, more, more dense product such as back-to-backs or stacked towns or townhouses yeah. are now the same. Yeah, it was interesting because what they said, because we were when we were talking about that, and he said, yeah, we, we were, they weren't as efficient with their planning of the condos, yep. which is now they feel like they can fit in the same, a similar type of lifestyle into a smaller unit. Yep. But they're just, they are getting squeezed still because they're removing, you know, when you walk in the, the door of the condo now, you're like inside the kitchen versus you had a little doorway. It might have been, whatever 10 square feet but you had this little doorway that you entered but they're just those things are all being stripped out of the units to get them to try to leave the main parts that people see on the floor plans in this at the same roughly the same size of the same space as best possible but it is still changing the unit slightly it is right? but all of us are builders and the industry are all getting more efficient with our designs you know try to minimize hallways and dead space totally yeah Being much more smarter with the design but it does it still does change the the lifestyle obviously yeah. and i think one thing that peter mentioned there is that there's more emphasis now on amenity areas as these uh the living areas are much smaller people still need a place to barbecue or walk the dog and all this stuff so you're gonna have see more rooftop amenity areas or or parks and all this stuff so that people can can actually get out of their boxes. Yeah, I think that's cool. If those are run properly, it creates a little bit of a community Absolutely. for the building. And then that makes it different because the, the condos of the past, there, there wasn't really that. It was really just everyone had their own box and you went to your box and that's it. But if you have your box, but then you have a, an area that you congregate and kind of hang out, no different than if you're on a, sing, a single family when you go outside on your driveway and you kind of see the neighbors, you chat with them a little bit. If you have that aspect, it does change the lifestyle that you, you can lead in that type of property. 100%. And I yeah. think it makes it better. Like, I just think it makes it better for people overall. It does, yeah. You know? Yeah. How are you going to run this business? Are you selling these properties that you build or are you going to keep some as your own portfolio? You know what? Like, we, we would love to keep uh, most of them. Some of them that we build, we will do basement suites in them. Some of them we don't. Some of them are unfinished basements, like typical singles or towns, and we'll, we'll sell those. Um, however, right now we're in ultra growth mode. So we've actually had to sell off a lot of our rental portfolio to be able to fund the growth of the business with uh, more staff. We have way more overhead now. Last year, I think we were a team of three. We're up to like 16 people now. We have a new, brand new, we have a new office that we're building out, 6,000 square feet. So we just have a lot more costs. So we've actually had to unload a lot of our uh, rental portfolio to be able to fund the business. Um, so, but moving forward, I see for the next while still uh, developing, building, and then selling. I don't think we're going to be able to hold on to many. 
um, it, at least in the next one. Yeah, the capital required and then the, the cash flow required to grow a business. And when we started this business, we looked back and we're like, man, if we just didn't start the business and just bought a few more rental properties <laughs> and just sat on those rental properties, maybe that was like the better use of our time <laughs> because the amount of money and energy, the momentum required to start something new is really high. Yes. So it takes a lot of monetary energy yep. and it takes a lot of human energy. So that really kind of sucked us good for a little while. And now we're reaping the rewards of all. Now things are kind of yes. reestablished and, you know, we're kind of getting, getting to uh, enjoy some of the fruits of that labor. But at the beginning, it's like, holy smokes, you know, oh, yeah. this is Long really days. hard. Yeah. And selling some properties like you're talking about, it always kind of sucks. Yeah. But I, I'm impressed that you've, you've done that because a lot of people will define themselves as real estate investors. And they'll say, well, I'm never selling a property because I'm a real estate investor. And here's you how many sell. doors I own. Yeah, here's how many <laughs> doors I own. But, but you saw, something that you want to do and that you're switching your asset mix. You're moving from some rental property assets to building a business asset. Yes. And that requires some movement of capital. Exactly. So good on you to make that decision. Most people don't do that kind of stuff. I feel like they get trapped. Right. So we recently sold one uh, that we went to the whole process with. We, we purchased it through uh, James Meggs found it on your team um, in St. Catharines. We severed a property, built two semis, added basement suites into them. Uh, and then we recently sold them. It was kind of like more, more, more of an emotional sale because it's like kind of cool keeping that and the cash flow was great. We had refinanced that afterwards and pulled out all of our capital. So it became a unicorn deal. There was no capital left in the deal. Uh, we, we were still cash flowing. But like uh, Tom, you're saying, you know, we had to analyze what's the best use of our funds. And it was investing into the business rather than holding on to this. So asset. how's your business structured now with Kenson going to raise capital and focus on that? Like, do you have a kind of a different structures? How's it pieced together? Yeah, there's like a web of different corps and stuff because we have different projects. Some projects will have different partners in it. Some of them are purely gateway, like myself, 100%. And then my brother kind of uh, gateway capital is kind of independent, but it assists with sourcing funds to, for our projects. Yeah, got it. And he's just starting out. Like this is kind of a new thing. We identified this year that capital is our biggest barrier to growth. We have the team, we have the expertise, uh, we get the opportunities, whether it's through our network or we're finding them ourselves. Um, we just need the capital to be able to scale. Yeah, you've built something kind of impressive because now with Steven, with you have construction yes. expertise in-house. That's right. You have design expertise. You know how to engage with the city. You've been, your family's been in commercial real estate for some of your parents, yep. right? They commercial? still own a commercial plaza. That's kind of their, um, uh, like they live off the pension. income there. That's their pension. Yes. Um, but they're pretty much checked out now. Yeah. yeah, yeah, help out. yeah got help so has that rolled into your manager? Yeah. yeah, yeah it yeah, just yeah. rolls into our, our management. <laughs> yeah, that's a good pension. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's a good pension. But we, yeah, we have uh, construction in-house. We have development in-house, design in-house, marketing and sales in-house, mm -hmm. bookkeeping. And that's one aspect that a lot of people overlook is the bookkeeping and accounting side. We have an incredible back-end team that uh, helps the projects run smoothly, ensures our cash flow. So I'm in a cash flow meeting with my office manager every single week. It's like the biggest thing that we need to work on, especially with so many. Pro we have over 20 projects on the go. Some are flips, some are infills yeah, so at different stages. Capital intensive. Mm -hmm. Capital intensive, yeah. So like for investors, if you're doing one at a time, much more manageable. But if you have over 20 projects, I'm always looking at the cash flow and making sure, projecting out six months or further. And we also keep three months of operating expenses, always as, as a reserve fund. Uh, so those are some of the things that we've added in processes this year 
because of uh, our growth and because of the increased overhead now with a larger team. Yeah, that's 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 smart that you do that because you've seen it with uh, you know other people that have done some developments that not large builders but smaller ones, and then they end up getting themselves in a cash crunch. Yes, and then those developments end up going into some sort of receivership or they have to sell it off yep. or someone else takes it over because it's easy to do. Like you know, sales are being made for the properties or, or the deals are coming in and you're just like, oh, so there's some revenue there, but that revenue is not realized until a certain date. Yep. And then this thing has to be done now and you need to pay some bills now to get it done. And it can be, it can get tricky. Development is a very long cycle. You know, you, there's the acquisition and then cash outflows, cash outflows, cash outflows with the consultants yep. going through the process. And that's not even guaranteed to get the approval. You don't get the, the return until the very end. So on a small scale infill, that's like two years later. And then actually, when going through Tarion, which is a whole other topic, um, you need to. This is a home warranty program in, in Ontario. Um, all builders need to be registered through Tarion to be able to build and sell homes for sale. Um, and to get your money out of there, you have to put a deposit down, and it ranges anywhere from like fifteen to upwards. I've heard of as much as forty thousand per unit, and that's based on your net worth and your experience. That doesn't get released until at least a year and a half after you've sold. So there's still money that's stuck with, with Tarion. After the property's not just sold, after after they've taken possession. After they've taken right? possession. Yeah, yeah. So, so after, they'll title, have, after title's transferred, then they hold it to, to, to give them the funds for any warranty work. Exactly. Like most of the any repairs or maintenance will be done within a year's time. But then Tarion still waits like another six months before they release your, your deposit. So, a lot of, so, Tom, as you're saying, there's a lot of BS with yeah. like the industry. Sometimes like, would we be better off just buying some rental properties and holding <laughs> it, do a lot less work, a lot less stress? But at the same time, like our team loves what we do. And I think that's what helps push us um, day in and day out to do what we do. It, it often doesn't feel like a job. Um, obviously, there's some days that are, that are pretty shitty, uh, but there's a lot of, a lot of great days too. So... Uh, we love what we do, and I think that really helps motivate us and push us to towards our goals. Why have you committed so much to networking and meeting people? Like you seem intentionally like everybody knows Charles Wah, and I'm sure Kenson, you're gonna soon be as broadly known as your brother. But I feel like you mentioned Charles Wah. Doesn't matter if I'm at the gym or here <laughs> or where I'm. Hey, does anyone know Charles? Wah? Oh my God, I know Charles Wah. So that's, oh, I thought it was like, yeah, where is he? I'm just trying to find that guy. <laughs> No, no. And it's always like everyone smiles. Like you just have a pot. Both of you come across this way, like a real positive energy about you. But the networking I feel is intentional that you're doing. It comes off, uh, you know, you're, you're doing, it, I feel consciously. Yeah. Why, why, what, where's that coming from? I just believe in building relationships and relationships is one of our core values, a gateway too. but it's one of my personal ones as well. I just enjoy building relationships. There's no intent in terms of like, a monetary relationship or anything. When I go... Yeah, you don't feel that from you. No, when yeah. I go somewhere, I'm trying to build uh, genuine relationships. And then if business happens from there in the future, great. But it's it's definitely not uh, the intent. I mean, I just enjoy getting out there and being social and, and meeting people. And as over the years, at the beginning, uh, eight years ago, I went to every single meetup. There was like free meetups. There's something you pay five bucks, 10 bucks, whatever. Some were terrible. Some were great. And from there, you find like organizations that uh, that resonate with you. Rockstar was a great one. I'm a part of Entrepreneurs Organization. I know Nick has been part, a member there before as well. Um, that's been a great organization as well. And you get to meet really, these really cool and interesting people. And they inspire me from their stories. I love hearing people's success stories. And, uh, and yeah, it really just drives me to do more. And it pushes the boundaries of, of what's possible. 
Yeah, I wonder at one point if you guys, either of you guys gets into politics. I mean, you're so kind of into the Hamilton community. You're still building big networks. You're still very young. I wonder if that. They're too smart for that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. But, you know, they have kind of the right network and yeah. they're doing the so right I things. Do, I do actually do quite a bit of political work, especially this year is a huge year for us in Ontario. Uh, June 2nd is the um, Ontario provincial election. And then in October, we have the municipal elections, which is hum- very, very uh, important. Especially from a planning perspective and stuff. For, for development and construction, yeah. Yeah, yeah. that is massive. Why, why? What are the risks if the wrong uh, party gets in? If the wrong party gets in, it will be very tough to get development approvals. Because there you is, think they'll just freeze? Explain, yeah, explain more. Yeah, well, there's certain parties that are, are much more pro-development, pro-building, um, and they want to streamline development approvals. Some other parties, not so much. They even talk about the green belt. Now we don't, we don't, like we're not a greenfield builder. But some of the parties have talked about maybe cutting back on the green belt. Some have been talking about, um, you know, adding more. Uh, and then in Hamilton, we have a big debate with the urban boundary. There, it's been a really contentious debate of whether to expand it or not. And so I know the parties have different viewpoints on on that. And that's just one example. Hamilton's one example of many different communities or cities in Ontario that are debating what to, how to manage their growth and how should they build. Should they be building up with mid-rise, high-rise? Should they be building out and expand into the urban boundary? Or should they build within with infill developments? Or should it be a combination of all of it? So uh, especially within the GTA area and Greater Golden Horseshoe, municipalities have a lot of work ahead to plan for this growth. With 400,000 uh, immigrants coming in per year, most of that in Canada coming, I think 50% coming into the GTA area. Um, we really need to plan for this growth and we need to plan smart. It's funny because a lot of people, some people will listen to that and think, well, yeah, like, you know, we don't want all this development. Like, you know, but the thing is, development can be done in a good way, you know, and I think we're, we're think and, 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 anti-development movement can be done in a, in a good way and a bad way too, right? Yeah. So like if you just don't allow anything ever, well, that restricts growth for us. And what a lot of people don't see is when with this immigration, this population growth is we need to accommodate it somewhere. So we need development somewhere to accommodate this. Mm-hmm. But, you know, they're like, well, I don't want it. Like, I don't want it here. I don't want it, you know, not <laughs> in my backyard, right? Yeah. So we, we don't want it here or, or don't do it someplace else or do this. But at the same time, they want the benefits of the economic growth that comes with the population growth, that comes with the immigration. Exactly. And and I think sometimes that conversation does, isn't had maybe, or, or people sometimes don't put the two together and say, okay, look, if you don't have some sort of development to accommodate growth, you don't have the growth, and then you don't get the benefit of that growth either, So which is fine. Maybe that's your decision. You don't want that. You're like, I just want everything to stay the same forever. Cool. And that's your right to, to have that opinion. But at least then, if we're having that conversation, people are 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 making that decision based on a complete picture versus just like, well, I don't want this building in my backyard, which, cause that's, that's, uh, it, it can, it can be a good view, uh, you know, a good point of view from them, but it is simplistic if you're not taking all the other factors into it. Right. Yeah. It's unfortunate because the average person doesn't understand some of the implications of development. Um, like for example, like a lot of municipalities have aging infrastructure and our development charges, which I can get into have increased tremendously the development charges that developers pay to be able to build units helps pay for like infrastructure or anything that the city needs. So new like sewers and sidewalks, yeah, and, parks, and that's just one of many many different fees that we pay. There's another larger one called Parkland Dedication that's supposed to go towards building parks and stuff for for amenities and for the communities. Um, but uh, 
a lot of these things is what the average person doesn't doesn't see mm-hmm. and they like it when development charges go up but what happens is the builders end up passing it to the consumers and then it, it hurts affordability yeah that that well, to me goes back to planning that's that's a whole government issue with with the way they misuse the funds and stuff I and mean, yeah. I, I saw that just firsthand when i was at the government i, I was shocked what would you like to see what would really help you develop new infill projects? Streamline development approvals. I know that's kind of broad, but I can tell you, de- depending on the municipality, even a small scale infill, like we have pr- a lot of projects where we are proposing a keep and sever. We keep the house, we sever maybe one lot, or maybe we, we sever three lots or whatever. There's so much opposition, there's so much nimbyism, and then there's even the process itself going through the municipalities is so cumbersome. It takes forever. So give us an example. How long does it take in, in a community? It depends on the community. Pick one. St. Catharines. Okay. Okay. They have a pre-consultation um, that you need to go through, this process. We have a project right now. We're s- six months in, and we haven't even applied for the Committee of Adjustments yet for our severance because of all this background stuff you need to go through. And you've already acquired the lot, or you yeah, have... Yeah, we've already acquired the So the just, it, it makes it even more capital-intensive. Exactly, because of carrying costs. And that's one thing that municipalities never, they never really think of the economic side of a project and the developer's carrying costs. They're significant. And the larger the projects, the, the higher the, those carrying costs are. Like our Toronto project with the 12 towns uh, is a lot more to carry than one of our small-scale infills in St. Catharines. I don't understand how we're going to solve this because if you're, if you're elected in the community, you don't want to piss off the neighbors that are voting for you so that you're always gonna push back on development. The developers are like, shit, you need to act faster because we're not even gonna build. And then at a higher level, at the country level, we're just stuffing in more people. And then you have like even, I won't get into more people through universities, but you got like all this other like population coming in here. So we just- Well, look what's happening. Westdale's a great example of a population, a huge population increase through universities. Yes. Right, with, with no real planning. Yep. And that's what that's what you get. And now, if you if if there had been communication from the federal government, you know, to the university saying, "Here's how we're going to change these non permanent resident rules," and the university said, "Okay, because of this, we're going to try to you know increase our um, our enrollment." You know, they're a private they're a private company, so they want profit, so they want more international students because they pay higher fees. Yep. So they're going to try to increase it, and then we're going to need housing. Then they have that conversation, and then there's some planning that gets involved, and then it could all be done at a normal rate. So an area like Westdale. Then what happens, and I know this is a long, long process over years, but then what happens is that in the community, it can be communicated, hey guys, here's what's, here's what's going on, here's how we're going to handle it, and it can be done in, in, in a normal way, so it's not just anyone trying to pick up a property and stuff, like you said earlier, 12 students into it, because you're going to make some money off of it. it th- then it doesn't work, and then it falls apart, and then more people are like, well, we don't want anything else in our, in our, in our, in our community because yep. this is a disaster already, but it all started from the beginning when there was no communication early on. Exactly. I know? think this is a top down approach that we need to uh, take to solve or help or mitigate with this crisis. Of Good, luck affordability. Good luck. <laughs> I know it's crazy, but this is the first time I think ever where the federal government, the provincial and the municipal uh, governments are all kind of trying to work together because they all identify this, this massive crisis here with, Where's the next generation? Where are the kids going to buy homes? Live. Where are they going to live? There, I think we're also at a turn right now where the governments need to decide whether Canadians, whether we want to maintain that dream of home ownership or are we going to be more like Europe and Asia where renting is norm, the norm? 
I think pretty soon. I think soon we're headed there. Where we yeah. have to, they have to decide. But I think the crisis is so big that we're headed there and we still don't have enough housing. Correct. Right? Like, I think we're headed to that where everyone's just going to rent. Well, just look at like rent. Not everyone. I don't mean to say everyone, but the majority of people or a larger majority will rent than have in the past. And even the rental supply is, is low. We need more rental supply. We need more all types of housing, whether it's affordable housing, high-end housing, everything in between. We need everything. You're right. There's a so it's great they're working together, but I feel like it's the province that's going to have to come down with a hammer and just say, listen. So that's the plan. And I, the big thing, I think the, the government right now, I think, is careful because of the elections coming up. Yeah, got so it. So you need to be careful with what you put in place and not piss off too many people. Like you said, Tom, whether you're a counselor or, or, or you know, work, provincial government, you need to be very careful during this year of, of an election. Once they get into power, then they can... <laughs> I love politics. They can put yeah. in the hammer. Let's, be, let's not say what we really want to say. Let's try to <laughs> well, get Well, it's in. weird because they spent, I'm sure, bucket loads of money on this, on the housing affordability report. So it comes out with some some pretty, I mean, some pretty logical things to, to do. And then when they announced their, from a provincial standpoint, they announced the budget, like what they would include from that. You know, half of it wasn't there. Yeah. And maybe that makes sense. And, and, and half wasn't there because the municipalities would freak out with, with some of it. But it's like, this is like an independent kind of thing that makes a lot of sense, right? When you look at the numbers. So I think the provincial government, they like you, like Tom said, they have to come down with a hammer. That's what's going to have to happen to help guide or almost force municipalities to welcome this growth. I and, think Mike, sorry, Charles. No worries. And the small scale stuff, you're going to see a lot more of it. Well, we need it. Whether like, you know, Andy Tran doing the garden suites, you're seeing a, they're, they're starting to get approved now. The average person will be able to do that. And whether it's an in-laws living there or you rent out as a, as a mortgage helper, I think you're going to see a lot more of the garden suites. We've already seen the basement suites and even the infill developments with the severances. I think you're, you're going to see a lot more of that. And I'm hopeful and optimistic that whichever government comes into power uh, provincially after June 2nd, we'll put in some of these measures into place. Because if it's not done at the provincial level, you have a municipality, like maybe Hamilton makes all these awesome changes. They change the urban boundary a little bit. They allow like larger infill projects. But if Burlington right next door is just slammed and doesn't change anything, well, all the people just rush from Burlington who couldn't buy into Hamilton. And even though Hamilton made some great changes... Yep. It's still not enough. Exactly. Right? Or, or people from Toronto rush to Hamilton. So you need this provincial guideline because at the municipal level, it's just too choppy. And without the lack of uh, a framework from the, from the province right now, you're seeing a lot of siloed, like the municipalities don't talk. Yeah. It's very different between the municipalities. Well, when they did this, uh, was, I always forget, I think it's Bill 184 for the second suites when they did that, you know, however many years ago. Prior to that, because I was looking at some of the properties and buying properties um, with, with second suites in the Brampton area. I was working up there early on and I kind of was familiar with the area and some of the numbers. I'm like, oh, I'll look at these properties. And some of the, the basement suites there were they, like, like they were just death traps. You know, they were, they were terrible. They yep. were bit built with, it was like particle board all around a stove and the outlet like in the middle of the wall. Like it's just all sorts of bad things were happening. And it got to a point that where Brampton was just outlawing um, the, a stove plug in the basement because they're just like, we, you can't have, like it was just so unsafe. There was yep. such a problem with it. They're like, we don't want these anywhere. So then the provincial government said, hey, everyone's got to mandate a set of rules. Yep. And then if they mandated a set of rules and people followed them, and I don't know what percentage of basement apartments now in Brampton are, be, are followed versus illegal ones or whatever, but I, I know from the ones I've seen and different things I've seen, there's the, there, I'm like, wow, these types of good ones didn't really exist before yep. because the framework was put into place and it, it solved a problem. 
Like, cause it was a very, it was a big safety problem yep. that, that it solved, right? Cause people were going to live there whether they wanted them to or not, exactly. but, but it, 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 it made them safer. So that's kind of like the positive side of that stuff. Exactly. Charles, you're doing a lot of stuff and Kenson will come to you in, in a second here. How do you take, how do you relax and take time off? Is it the gym for you? Is that your kind of space to, <laughs> to unwind a little so, bit? Because you, you're running like you're all, and you've, since I've met you, you're always, always yeah. working. What kind of drugs are you on? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. How are you taking care of yourself? Uh, the gym. So I go to the, my brother and I go to the same gym in Westdale, uh, ODN Fitness. We go there four or five times a week, uh, every morning, seven in the morning. It's been great for me. And I've seen you squat, dude. You, yeah, yeah, you yeah. squat like I don't know. You must have been squatting since you were three, because <laughs> you can squat. There's no problem with Charles. It's because I'm squatting. shorter. I think that's why. Oh no, 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 no. <laughs> um, yeah, the gym is one way for me to like my meditation almost to let loose. And for me, I'm always thinking about work. I really enjoy work, and I'm working like all the time. I work crazy hours, um, but the gym forces me not to think of it. And another thing that we like to do is also go golfing. That will also kind of like help us relax and whatever. So those are kind of probably the two main things that that I do to be able to relax a little bit. There's a lot of golf courses in West Palm, dude. You should check it out. Yeah. I heard you guys have a place there. You should probably go down there. That's why Kenson was down there yeah, for Kenson, so long. Yeah, yeah. He was golfing. And, uh, and, around that swing. And yeah. then so and then Charles, I don't. How old are you now? Uh, turning 36. 36. I'm 35 yeah. right now. You're, you've done so much and you're going to do so much over the next 10 years. It's not, it's, it's just a silly question. Cause I was, what I was going to ask is like when Charles was 96, what will he look back on and, you know, ask himself that he should have maybe what, what could he have done differently? But at 36 doing what you're doing now, I feel like you're in the sweet spot. You're doing what you want to do. You have the right yes. people around you. Yep. Um, you could ask his wife and he'll tell, she'll tell you right now yeah, what you're doing differently. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> probably, yeah. yeah, yeah definitely yeah. I should probably be home more. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. You're working hard. She's pretty, she's busy, busy herself. So that's yeah. the thing. Both of us, she's an entrepreneur herself, as yeah. you guys know. She's very busy. I'm very busy. We're barely home. Yeah. And we're always on the go. Yeah, but I feel like the 20s are your time to pick up skills. Yeah. The 30s are your time to cut, put those skills into place. Yep. Let's make you know some use of these skills. And then to me, hopefully by your 40s, you have enough momentum rolling in some area of life that you can kind of then steer the ship the way you want it. Exactly. Right? Exactly. So, and it feels like you guys are on that, on Ho hopefully. that, <laughs> on that path. And so now Kenson's just started this um, with you. How does this evolve, Kenson? You're going to raise capital for the business and that's going to be your focus for now on a full-time. This is what you're going to do on a full-time basis now? Yes, that's right. Yeah, cool. And then what? Put uh, the Bay Street contacts to use. <laughs> and and the full-time dad role. Yeah, that's yeah, yeah, yeah. How long have you been a dad now? A uh, year and a half. Yeah, oh my gosh. Yeah, yeah. That takes a lot of... He has a lot of energy. Yeah, yeah, totally. He senses he, my energy. Yeah. He likes me. Yeah, yeah. He's talking about my son, not me. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> son likes you. And then, uh, and then for you guys working together, this will be... New, because you, you haven't worked together in the past, correct? We did at the beginning, but... Not as much as now, because before he was on Bay Street. So mm -hmm. it was kind of more of a, a part-time thing mm -hmm. to support the, the business. But now it's like full on, let's, let's get shit done and let's do this. How do you guys look at your business? Sorry, I just have a couple more things I, I want to get your opinion on. What, how do you guys look at your business and risks? I guess for us with Rockstar, one of the risks to us was like, oh, can we get enough uh, investors to like be interested in working with us? Another risk was like, do interest rates like quadruple from here and just the whole real estate market comes for, you know, becomes frozen for a little while. Yep. Are there some things at a higher level that you look beyond municipal planning? Um, 
and things that are a risk to your business? Or are you so focused right now at the business level that it just doesn't doesn't matter? Uh, yeah, like the municipal, there's risk there on the approval side. But I would say like the market, like if the market for some reason tanked in, in, you know, in the coming years, that would have a huge impact on our business. What's tanked to you? See, that's the thing. It's all relative. Yeah. And, like and is it short term or long term? Yeah. yeah so so like we're not too concerned at this point, but like tanking would be, I don't know. Like a 25% drop? 25 would still be okay. And like for us, we are, we're always, even though I'm willing to take on a lot of risks, we're still very conservative with our performance. So performance is projecting our financial return when we go into a project. And so we're always conservative with our numbers. So we kind of think that we're going to do better. We do a sensitivity analysis of best case, worst case, and middle case. And so we feel pretty confident, even if the market were to uh, correct 20%, that we're still confident with our projects. But okay, if it was to go way more than that, like something, a black swan event, like something I think we crazy. would have bigger problems in the world. Yeah. It, it would be your business, our business, everybody together would be like, holy shit. Exactly. Show. So like I'm able to sleep at night. I don't really like have too many concerns. Maybe I should. I don't know. Maybe he's more risk averse as thinks of more things. But interest rate is something that's coming up that will impact uh, our, our business for sure as well. One of the biggest risks as, as solopreneurs or, you know, dualpreneurs, as you guys know, is key man risk. You know, I think that's one of the biggest risks to our business. Um, if anything happened to, you know, my brothers or I and, you know, that, that can have, have I forgot a, about that. I think impact. I'm Superman sometimes. Yeah, I think yeah, I'm yeah. invincible. Yeah, I never, I don't really, I mean, we have key man insurance and stuff like that, but we don't really, yeah, you don't think about that. But it, it would yeah. be, it, it, yeah, it, it is a big one right. for sure. I think that honestly is, more than the the global markets because you can't control recessions business cycles um whether interest rates go up or, or whatnot um can't really control that we, c we can only be prudent in the way we look at the financials and um yeah i think it's a good point like for us health and wellness is very important i know for both of you as well it is um to be able to always be a high performer in the business or at home um so taking care of our health is is paramount and i think over the past few years or like from like 2018 to 2020, I think I kind of let that down as I was scaling the business. Didn't go to the gym. I, I, I wanted to join you guys from before, but took a couple of years off to really scale the business. Dude, I have so many good memories of us going to the gym together, bro coaching your brother to do muscle ups. <laughs> First of all, your brother is just a maniac at the gym. I remember you were took some time off and you came back and there was like a running workout and yeah. you just went out running. And then I think I found you like walking at, at one point and I knew you just went out like way too fast, yep. too hot. And then, uh, but you're to your credit, you always finished everything. And then uh, during that time, Nick, this isn't going to be a lot of weight for you, but for Charles and I, this was a lot of weight. We did this one deadlift workout. No, I swear to God, I just remember this to this day. I think it was 315, but I'm not sure. It was. It was 315. Okay. And we were doing it for a set of 10. 10 then reps. We would rest and then we did it again or something. Yeah. I, I just remember putting the bar down. And I think it was like every three minutes on the minute or something. <laughs> and I remember putting the bar down on one of the rounds and just backing up and being so lightheaded. Like I felt like I was going to float away. I almost passed out. Yeah. I was seeing stars. <laughs> I don't know how yeah. you did and that. And I remember looking at Charles because you were doing it. Yeah. I remember looking at you going, well, I don't know if Charles is doing it. I guess I should be able to do it. <laughs> and then Charles, I think you were looking at me like, are we still doing this? Yeah. And it was just insane. It was one of the craziest workouts that we ever did. And then one other memory is this one time Dan was getting us to do cleans. Oh, and my we were working working our way up for like 10 weeks and it's not like really heavy but we got to like I think my personal goal was like 225 pounds I've yep. never done before we got to 225 and then I think the next week we went heavier we got to like 235 and then the next week 
we started adding weight and we hit 250. That was crazy. And it was like one of the happiest moments of my freaking <laughs> still life. Still is, still getting, is. Getting that because we both did it on the same day, and I don't think we neither of us have done it again, dude. You're never allowed to lift that again. I know. Right? <laughs> if you're gonna lift 250 again, you gotta tell me so I can be there. <laughs> you know, I think the bro coaching really helped. Like yeah, that environment. Yeah it, was, yeah, it was so awesome. I think if it was yeah. like I have to look at Tom, like, oh, he's doing it. I gotta do it as well. Yeah, like, we helped it was each so other. good. And I'm it sure you guys. It's fun. Those environments are fun. Yeah. Really fun, yeah. Yeah, yesterday Nick Nick programmed something for his birthday and we got to the gym later. We Fran? modified it. Did you do Fran? No, I, I, I'm not doing that again. I've done, <laughs> done it enough times. No, I, this wasn't necessarily for my birthday. It, it happened to me my birthday yesterday. But when I go in in the morning, by the time the few guys that w- w- I work out with, it's like it's always like, okay, well, who's got something we're doing today? Yeah. You know, so we all lift our weights and it's like, okay, now what? Yeah. So it's whoever comes up with something. And I had thought about something the day before. That I that I wanted to do, and then yeah, I heard Dan told me this morning. He's like, yeah, Tom came in. He goes, they were programming God knows what. And he goes, I just told them like, this is what you need to do today. <laughs> <laughs> it was this horrible workout. It was like five rounds, two hundred meter run, and then fifteen wall balls. But the heavier wall balls, I think twenty five pound wall balls, yeah. for five rounds. And then it was then a one minute break, and I'm like, oh. okay, thanks for the one minute break. And then after the one minute, you do four rounds. Of rower, 15 calories on the rower, I think. And 10 squat and cleans. And 10 squat cleans. They had it programmed at 135. I did 115. Wow. Forget it. And then a, a one-minute break yeah. again. And then you did three rounds on the assault bike, I think 15 calories or something. Yeah, it was 10 at 10 and then five snatch, full snatches. So like Full sna- wow. yeah, snatches. It was and supposed just, to be five, five, and five. Yeah. But then I... Uh, I had to get home to see my daughter needed some help with math before she went to school. So I had to get home at a certain time. So I'm like, guys, we got to show, by the time we started, I'm like, I got to shorten a yeah. little bit. So we made it five, four and three. It's just devastating. So. And then Mike and, and uh, Jonathan there at the gym, they're like, well, what's our buyout? So yeah. we do this a thing. Buyout. And like, hey, what's our buyout? So I'm like, okay, 50 calories on the bike. So then we go on the bike for 50 calories. I'm like, what the hell are we doing? Oh, like, this goodness. is just psychotic, but there's something beautiful about it. I don't know what it is. It's just amazing. And I'm sure you guys get that rush of adrenaline. It helps or- train our mindset too like to push the limits. And we're on a, my brother and I were at the gym, we're on a cardio cycle right now. And it, like today and yesterday, I don't even know how, I heard he said he swam after the gym today. I'm like, was the workout not enough? But like yesterday and today, we had to go outside and ga- get some air. I swear I was seeing stars again. It reminded me of the time where me and you, Tom, were, were deadlifting 315 so for 10 good. There's something about suffering. I just like putting myself in a situation where I'm going to suffer because I'm not nearly as good at this stuff as Nick, but I'd like throwing myself in situations where it's, I'm testing myself. I'm like, am I yeah. about to give up right now? Or am I going to get through this? Exactly. And you actually build confidence because yep. a whole bunch of times you're like, there's no way I can finish this workout. <laughs> but the fact that you finish it, that spills over into other areas of life. It's just so Absolutely. weird. Your hero workout that you did, Glenn, it's yeah. still the most inspiring workout I've ever seen. Him and Mike DeSermo did it. It was crazy. I know. I got I got messages in the middle of it <laughs> saying, hey, saying, hey, you're, I think your brother might die because he couldn't, the rope climb, I think you were stuck on it at one point or something. Tom had trained, falling. Tom had trained for 12 weeks. And like, I was just like a cheerleader for that day. And I, I didn't wasn't part of the 12-week training. I just did the normal training. And midway through, Tom was failing on the rope climbs. I didn't know what to say. Yeah. I like I don't want everything to hide. started moving. In. I was I remember I was leaning against the wall. I saw you and Irwin at the door talking to each other. It was like slow motion. And then I looked over at Dan and he was going to Rachel. Yeah. And he was talking to Rachel. I think like holy shit, Tom's gonna fail this workout that he trained twelve weeks for. Yeah. I don't know what to say. No, anymore. I think he was saying he's gonna fall off the rope and 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 hurt himself. Yeah. So Dan said hey, I could look up the messages. <laughs> you know what the crazy part is? Mike Desormo trained for the whole thing. 
He finished the workout. I don't even think he was breathing hard. <laughs> he finished the workout. He's like, hey, that wasn't too bad. He took a washroom break in the middle of it. Uh, Mike, Meanwhile, I was... Mike is a beast. But on the... But you know what? Dan was a great coach. He saved me because he said, hey, take two minutes. Don't try the rope climb. And that was enough to get my forearm some rest where I was able to get some grip again. Thank goodness we had Dan there. Because me and Erwin were debating what to say. And we're like, I don't know what to say. I, I know. I saw you guys going in and out and they're just looking at me and leaving. I'm like, okay, it's not that bad. If I, I'm not like that embarrassed if I don't finish this thing. But I remember telling Nick afterwards, because I ran the last mile at the end of that workout, I couldn't raise my arms because of the rope climb. So I was running with arms. My, my arms down. And I had never run like that before. Where you And Nick was like, why didn't you just like swing your arms onto your shirt and grab your shirt? And I was like, oh my gosh, that's so smart. Yeah, sometimes when I leave after, like I have to hook them onto my shirt. A little bit. I've never done that. I'm going to try that. So much. I've never been. So you guys have been in that environment where oh, you yeah. can't lift your arms to run. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. yeah. I'm like, holy, this is new. And then, when, but then when, to your credit, you because it ended with 100 burpees. And oh. I think you had to, to to make it under the time cap. You had to, fastest you, you 100. Had, I did yeah. the first 30 unbroken. And one of my hands wouldn't open because of the forearm was so frozen. <laughs> so I did a fist and an open hand for the burpee on the ground. And I did 30 straight. I even remember saying to myself, like, that was pretty good. I just <laughs> did 30 burpees straight. And I got, I got through the workout. There was a 45 minute time cap and it was like 44 minutes it was insane it was and then tyler came in at the end another one of the trainers and he didn't know what i'd just been through and he saw me just lying on the ground he's like what happened to that (laughs) is that guy gonna be okay and he just kind of like walked away (laughs) anyway these are the good times so listen uh what does it mean to you guys to be living life on on your terms now so like when you hear your life on your terms is it doing exactly what you're doing what does that mean to you to each of you one of you go first you want me to go first? Sure. Yeah, I think it's just being able to do what you want when you want. I know it's like cheesy to, to say that, um, but I'm really enjoying what I'm doing right now. And I feel uh, I, I personally am living life on my own terms. Maybe take a few extra weekend trips away, maybe. But uh, no, everything's good. And uh, like your slogan, your life, your terms totally resonates with me. Yeah, cool. It's fun to watch you, Charles, man. It really is. Thank seriously. You. Yeah, for me, it's it's more about, you know, being able to manage your own time. Um you know, people think maybe money's the most important resource in life, but really it's about time. Like, would you trade spots with Warren Buffett right now, you know, at age 90? Um, I wouldn't. And so having having that ability to be flexible and manage time and, you know, go work out and spend time with family and work hard and have a nice balance and enrich life. Um, I think that's what it's about. It's keeping it simple and enjoying friends, connections, and being able to choose who you do business with rather than, being forced to meet a target, you know what I mean? You thought that before, but it seems like anyways, based on your decision in 28, has has anything changed in your thought since you've become a father? Yeah. Around that particular thing about, you know, uh, what what life on your terms means? Yeah, for sure. Um, Definitely the importance of time. I mean, everyone has the same 24 hours, but it just feels like the response we have a father, like you want to show up. Like I I personally want to be present um, a present father, I want to, you know, have my son be feel secure. And so has that impacted the way I look at, you know, my responsibilities as a father and also, uh, in a career, 100%, um, working more efficient, um, getting up earlier. Um, but I, I love it. I mean, it's like the most chaos you'll ever experience in your life, but it's like the most rewarding thing as well. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. It's very time. Freedom seems like a, a key. 100%. Do what you want when you want it. Exactly. Always appreciate this, guys. Good seeing you. A lot of fun. Uh, yeah. So how would people find you? How do, what's the website to go to? 
um, if just they're walk interested. Around rest, walk around rest day. <laughs> 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 Charles and Kenson. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, just go through Hamilton and you're going to yeah. bump into Charles and yeah. Kenson Wa. Yeah, for, for me, uh, you, the website is uh, gatewaygroup.ca. And uh, if they want to contact me, I guess they can go on Instagram. Uh, my Instagram is uh, Charles Wa. That's cool. my name. Cool. Yeah, they can DM me on Facebook, Kenson Wa. Um, you still use Facebook, eh? I just use Messenger. <laughs> yeah. I literally, I don't use like any social media uh, other than maybe Facebook DMs. Good for you. <laughs> cool. Awesome, guys. Appreciate this. Thank you so much. Thanks, Thanks a lot, guys. Hey, everyone. Hopefully you enjoyed that chat with Charles Waugh and Kenson Waugh. The URL to find them is gatewaygroup.ca. So that's gatewaygroup.ca. Charles Waugh is on Instagram simply at Charles Waugh. So that's Charles and the last name is W-A-H. And Kenson Waugh can be found on Facebook at just Kenson Waugh. So Kenson, K-E-N-S-E-N-W-A-H on Facebook. And if you are listening to this and you want some more real estate investing information, you can download a free digital copy of our book, Income for Life for Canadians at rockstarinnercircle.com forward slash books. That's rockstarinnercircle.com forward slash books. That's it for this episode. Until next time, your life, your terms. <laughs>